0: Humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human podcast. This is episode 272, and I sat down with Dr. Melanie Curtis Andrews over at the Hellmell Studios here in Los Angeles. She is the co-founder and artistic director of Inner City Shakespeare Ensemble. She has read, directed, designed, or performed every play by the bard, William Shakespeare. She's a multi-award-winning educator, has been recognized by the state of California and by President Obama, and by everyone that's ever met her. Uh, She's really a phenomenal woman and has been fostering young minds for her entire life. I very much believe in what she's doing and I'm excited that she is on the planet and she and and the other people that she works with, what they're doing to provide support and education and excitement and possibility to to these young minds. If you are interested in donating to Inner City Shakespeare Ensemble, you can go to their website, innercityshakespeareensemble.org and donate there. Super easy to do and you know, it's uh, for a wonderful cause, as you will soon hear on this episode. Okay, in other news, Hey Human Podcast can be found on Instagram and Facebook under Hey Human Podcast. My personal social media is Susan Ruthism and can be found Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you want to go and listen to music, I can be found under iTunes or Spotify. Uh, Susan Ruth for iTunes and Susan Ruth-US for Spotify. Bunch of music up there and new music coming soon because I just got done working on some new tunes. You can email me, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. I answer every email and I enjoy it. So please do send me emails. You can also go to heyhumanpodcast.com and check out the links page. Every episode is carefully curated by me and has information, books, articles, deep dives into every single guest that I have on the show. And Dr. Curtis Andrews references a lot of stuff and talks about a lot of videos and things. And I tried to put as much on the links page there as humanly possible. So for sure, go check that out. Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can sign up for the mailing list under susanruth.com. I know that's a totally different website, but lots of information on there about me as far as stuff other than the podcast. But it is a one-stop for to sign up for a mailing list that I send out mm, maybe <laughs> every quarter. I don't know. I'm not great at sending them out with any kind of major frequency, but the good news is your mailbox won't be inundated by emails from me. So there is that bonus and silver lining. I think that might be all. I'm excited that Ted Lasso has started up again. And I finished Loki. Those are the two TV shows I was really into. And oh, I just finished a great book that my friend narrated, Catherine narrated. And the book is called uh, Seven Lies. It's really good. So, and Catherine is an amazing audible reader. I did it on audible, obviously, because otherwise that would be weird if Catherine just came to my house every day to read to me. Although I would love it because her voice is like butter. It's so nice. Okay, that's about it. <laughs> now I'm in ramble zone. Ooh, when I do these late at night, I get a little twisty in my brain disease. You know what I'm saying? Thank you for listening, everybody. Be well. Please take care of each other. Be kind. And, uh, Here we go. Dr. Melanie Curtis-Andrews, welcome to Hey
1: Human. Thank you. I'm so excited. This is such a unique podcast. (laughs)
0: Yeah, unique is a good word for it. Yes, for sure. Thank you for being here, which is really me being here not you being here because i'm i came to you in the
1: hell studios that's right in the middle of construction and craziness so if you hear noise it's people working
0: yeah well that's a studio for you yeah your whole vibe is storied and extraordinary so i but i want to start at the beginning of you you grew up in compton
1: i grew up in compton
0: what was childhood like for you wonderful yeah
1: not anything like the media it was like uh, norman rockwell dipped in chocolate my area of compton was created for gi's about 400 houses and part of the gi bill by the dear sweet wonderful eleanor roosevelt because black veterans weren't getting what they were supposed to get and so she took up their cause and forced state governments that they were going to get any federal money to make housing available for vet- veterans. So it was an area that was cows and stuff and they built new houses. And so it became a community where everybody was a veteran. Everybody was married. All the, all us kids were about the same age or in groups. And the community was all about kids. You know, I had five aunts and uncles, five families that were vets that lived within walking distance of my house. So every Sunday I could go get five kinds of cake, which started my weight problem. But it was just family, work, education. Most of the kids I grew up with have college degrees and advanced college degrees, not what the media is saying about us. And uh, lots of love, lots of caring, lots of celebrating kids, you know. Dad was military? Dad was military, mom was military. Mom was a nurse, dad was a soldier. And all my, uh, you know, black folks are incredibly patriotic. So almost everybody in the family that was physically able to was in the army or the air force or the Navy.
0: I always find that interesting considering the history that of how America treated and continues
1: to treat Yeah, and
0: continues to treat right that is not that has not been a problem that has been solved that in fact the patriotism is so strong and it's like that in a lot of uh, people of color communities like the Asian community is very patriotic Latino we we,
1: um it's hard to put it into words that people won't understand. That's what words are for. But um, the only hope that people of color have is in the law and in the Constitution. And I think we universally believe that, uh, like Martin Luther King said, the arc of goodness is long. And that uh, we, as Americans, have the possibility of getting the so-called American dream if we follow the American tenets, which are we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men including live the girls out are created equal. And so this culture believes that. And even though like there was the end of the Civil War and then there was Reconstruction and so there were people you know that were had all kinds of opportunities and then 20 years into that there was Jim Crow which lasts really until the 60s and then in 1964 there was a period of, of equality that came through uh, courts and and legislation and all that, and that lasted for a while, and then it started to go back with serial predators and and uh, over policing of our communities and what we have now. So there is a constant belief in this kind of um, African tradition. And Yoruba says, no matter how bad your day, the sun will rise tomorrow, and so that constant sense of hopefulness for the next generation is what propels our patriotism. I don't know now, though. I think this may be the first group of kids that are going, I don't think so.
0: Yeah, I think the veil of the great and powerful laws perhaps has been lifted. I think
1: so, I think so. And when you see people in Congress that say things that are so pernicious or a president, and you realize, oh, they're not ever gonna give us the rights that we deserve. Not so much as Americans, but as humans. And that's a bigger sense of yeah. the battle.
0: Yeah, well, they have to first see everyone as human.
1: Well, you know, and, and it's not be- voluntary, you will see us. We you know, I think the new kids, the young ones that are growing up, the ones I teach in college they're not waiting. It's sort of like the students of the 60s. They're making people see them. Yeah. And they don't need you to be your friend. They just are taking you to court. They're suing you. They're fighting for rights. They're changing laws. They're And if you, could, you like it, great. But if you don't...
0: Yeah, you're going to be left behind in the dust. That hope you speak of, uh, it seems that it has been a through line in your life as you started working with kids. Did you start doing that from an early age?
1: Well, um, when I was a little girl, I had sepsis, Um, so it's a horrible infection. And so I couldn't walk and I was isolated at home for over a year and the community Was so loving to me, you know, in terms of buying me wheelchairs and visiting and sending me books and stuff. But I'm the oldest of 37 cousins, so childcare is like in my DNA. And I run the tutoring program and I help with the college applications and blah, 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 blah. So, you know, I'm the oldest of six, the oldest of 37, so being involved with youth was just what I was meant to be. Uh, and I was involved with youth activities in church, um, with the Board of Supervisors. We started a youth collective because we didn't, you know, Compton was not a, was a city, but, the totally segregated. The white part of the city didn't deal with us at all. So we had no library, no fire department, no parks, no pools. Uh, No medical centers, none of that, for well into the 60s, probably. And the Board of Supervisors, headed by Kenneth Hahn and his wonderful daughter Janice is now on the Board of Supervisors, would come through to get votes. And we were this little cute group of girls, women, headed by some other women. And we would get all dressed up and go to the Board of Supervisors meeting during election time. So they needed those black votes as because black folks used to in those areas before the price got so high vote in massive amount like in Compton. Uh, and so the board of supervisors said hey this is several thousand votes I need to make friends and so they're like come vote for me and then we our little bodies would go up to the and we sign up to speak and we were so cute they could not let us be you know 10 little girls and um we were cute too i was like mr supervisor you know i understand you want to have what are you going to do for our part of the community is that just for the other part so ultimately through our lobbying we got a park we got a lake we never got a library or a hospital um, they got the boys got a baseball field we got a fire department in our area but it was he, our parents wanted us to be leaders so they just put us out there We're the Martin Luther King kids you know so that's
0: got to be a lot of pressure too
1: I mean we under- were too stupid to know we were under pressure we were just following the you know the lead of our parents yeah. most of our parents who were G- GIs grew up in the south And there was a lot of Jim Crow stuff going on. And I see, I'm working on a film now about this issue in my family. And there were over 4,000 black GIs that were lynched from 1893 to 1964 in the South, uh, Louisiana, Mississippi, Alabama. Not a single prosecution. And we can prove these lynchings because the lovely white citizens took postcards and the body would be hanging in the back and they'd be standing in front. So, coming to California gave us a new house and an escape from Jim Crow and a chance to go to college. I had of my in my family, five of my uncles went to college on the GI Bill and were engineers and worked in the space program. So we got to go to Jet Propulsion Lab and watch the rockets go up and down. That's when they didn't fall down. So that was, you know, part of our life. Uh, Some of us, I think we have one chemist of the cousins and several computer people, lots of teachers, one. Positions, assistants, a lot of business people. But of all my cousins, all of us have degrees. Three people don't.
0: And you have a pile of degrees. Mm-hmm. I mean, you didn't just stop with one. You pile. I know.
1: On. My mother called me a perpetual student.
0: Theater. You have design, uh, and what? your literature. Is that?
1: Yeah, English, yeah. English lit, and then there's comparative statistical analysis, which is math, which you had to take in communications. So I, uh, my cousin Bruce and I, he's gone, he died. Um, we had, he, we're the same age, and so we had this game we were playing, when we are going to college. How many majors and minors can you get without adding the least amount of coursework? Huh. So consequently, I have, you know, I have, I have a bachelor, triple ma- trip with a triple major, a master's in curriculum, Education, a master's in administrative and education, and then a PhD, which is a kind of a cumulative thing uh, with UN University, USIA, and USC. You know, my mother called me the perpetual student because she felt once you got an AA, you go out there and get a job. You know, that's the world we came from. You know, get a job with benefits, get married, have some babies.
0: Sure, it's a different generation, <clears throat> for sure. Yeah. Did you have a sense as a kid, because of the color of your skin, that that set you in some sort of a, a from the rest of the world? Or did you feel that you, you know, just as much a part of the world? Did you get that sense of just, you know, the justice was running through? You
1: guys don't understand that uh, black people think being black is cool. Think being black is an honor. Think being black is coming from kings and queens. So we don't see ourselves, at least might, as being less. And we think that you guys have missed a great opportunity. Because my parents were all GIs, were all college educated, and the kids were expected to do well in school. We were, and it was during the time of civil rights. I was the same age as Emmett Till when he was killed. I mean, I I was younger than him. I was eight or nine, but I know about it. I was the same age as the girls that got blown up uh, in the the church. Mm -hmm. I have been involved with demonstrations and stuff, and my grandfather was head of the NAACP in Texas until the Klan ran him out. That's a whole other story. And so when I was nine, I wanted a Barbie doll and he gave me a lifetime membership to the NAACP. And so I was through church, black church, center of civil rights youth, Youth uh, leader with my grandmother, my mom—not so much my dad because he was working. We had six kids. My grandparents. I was always the sergeant of arms. I would, you know, I was in the middle of it, and they—they respected children and gave us responsibilities. I don't think we felt stressed about it. We felt special, you know. And people think to be black, oh, how sad. Honey, child, you ought to be happy, you black. I mean, come on. It is the coolest thing. Now, it has been turned into something negative, but that doesn't mean that's what it is. Right. And so our job as educators, our job as community leaders to help young people realize that being black is not a punishment. Being black is a gift.
0: And that's what I was leading up to is the idea that now you are in your own way responsible for these beautiful young minds that are coming up through your programs and
1: they're getting 30 years of teaching. Yeah.
0: And they're getting messaging from all around them that for first of all that kids aren't worthy of anything secondly that some differences in melanin in their skin makes them less than or more valuable all these different messages how do you get in there and combat that and and help to
1: that's a a big question but I think first of all the crazy irony of this country is the south lost the war (laughs) but they won the narrative yeah, sure. A lot of those statues that people are pulling down were put up in the 50s and 60s, not in the Civil War. I, we deal with race, but what I deal with more than anything is excellence. Know your power, know your value, and know that if you have color on your skin, you get no passes, and that if you want to be in a leadership role, you have to be the best thing out there. That's what I do. Uh, we have black and brown people doing Shakespeare. And it's not, oh, look at those cute little black kids doing Shakespeare. It's like, wow, that's excellent. And so it's the search for excellence. That's the key. That's what I was raised with. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what I truly believe. And it's hard. Um, I can tell you something that had my first demonstration. I was nine years old, I think. It was the NAACP voter rights demonstration. So fast forward to now. And I had worked with various communities, so a bunch of people in Culver City were doing um, a family march, you know, that would be safe and it was organized for kids. And so I was there and it was, and this little, these girls I know, you know, we know each other, but uh, their little dance troupe because of COVID couldn't have their performance. So they, I'll show you a picture of it before we go. So they were, um, they had their little fairy outfits and their wings weren't right. And I walk around, I have scissors, safety pins, that's me. Um, and so she's she was like this little girl and, and pretty little black girl. And she, and I was saying, is this, she says, is this your first demonstration? And she said, yes, it is. I said, how old are you? Nine. I said, why are you here? He says, for rights. And then I started to cry because I had done that nine and I'm over 70. And why is it that these babies still have to do it? But they're willing to do it. They're not afraid. They're clear. So that's our hope. You know, that's our hope. Yeah. It's it's not fair.
0: No, it's not. And it's. And that's... Did it land in my head? I thought it did. <laughs> they're so flying. Arr, here. Arr. I'm pulling a pence. Yeah, you're away. having
1: a Mike Pence moment, that's but her hair, hair is brown, not white. So I, That was hilarious. <laughs> wasn't
0: that funny? It was very no. funny. Where did you pick up your bug for... Acting and performing, and Shakespeare, because you well, just, first of all,
1: for Shakespeare.
0: Well, I read that you have either uh, directed, designed, or acted in every oh, single Shakespearean. Theory.
1: Well, uh, no. I well, I got, I got. First of all, if you're black and you're in the church, from the oldest, from the youngest age, you have to get up and do your Easter speech and whatever. So I was used to doing that, a la Oprah. But my Shakespeare thing came when I was about 10. My grandmother, who I had taught college uh, right after Re- reconstruction, uh, well, I know it was 20s or whatever, for a while before she got married, um, was not happy with my home teacher. I had, I was, I had a sepsis infection, you know, so, so I had a home teacher and, and, my, and I was really not trying. And my grandma's like, oh no, girlfriend, you're going to do better than this. And it was a tendency in the black community to buy these books. It was all the encyclopedias and the great books in a bookcase and you pay on time. So that was the stuff my grandmother taught like me. Like the
0: Britannicas? Yeah, the yeah. Britannicas. Okay. Do you have those in your I, family? My family does have those, yeah. Yeah, we
1: had the Britannicas. And then on the bottom, there's like 20 other books, the great books of the world. And so there was a complete works of Shakespeare. And my grandma and my mom would read it to me when I was 10. And we'd go back and forth. And um, I just fell in love with them. What a great storyteller. Once you could figure out the language, then you're cool. It's not that hard, really. And I and a perfect example of that is is when we had school, I would take over, Inner City Shakespeare would take over an entire fourth grade class in an inner city school, and we'd do a Shakespeare performance with fourth graders. So once you learn the key to the language, it's just such beautiful, beautiful storytelling, and then you can connect it to it's so universal. Jealousy and hope and love and unrequited love and fighting and all that stuff, that's in everything. And then Shakespeare as a college professor is the number two literary illusion in most of the books you read. And so if kids in the inner city don't learn Shakespeare, and mostly they don't, because the educators in charge feel it's not relevant and these kids don't need to know. But in Santa Monica, they know. In Brentwood and Beverly Hills, they know. So why is it that our kids don't need to know? And by the time they get to, to college and they're reading Proust and all the other writers who have plot lines out of Shakespeare, they're at a total disadvantage. You know, so my love of Shakespeare came from my Nana.
0: I love that. Shakespeare is the master of storytelling. And you're right, every conceivable human condition. I don't think people realize how many phrases come from Shakespeare. He created words.
1: He created over 2,000 words and phrases. I was looking at it today. Broken... uh, I could look it up, but anyway, so many. You look it up. It's
0: extraordinary. Yeah, I'll I'll put it on the links page that everybody can see. I
1: mean, there's so many things that he created. And, you know, um, and then once you figure it out, funny thing, I'm working with fourth graders in a really tough school. And when I do the productions, they are, I bring in pros and every kid has a costume and it's a big set and the whole community, cause I know how to do that, I'm a theater professional. So I use my pro stuff. And I used to get support sometimes from arts education division. And the people that support us. And uh so we were doing what were we doing? Uh is it in Midsummers? One of the kids oh, Midsummer's one of the kids got angry at another kid and said, A box on your house instead of F you, He said, A box on your house. Oh, I love it. You know, so I knew they got it by then. So I,
0: I would, would love to see Shakespeare performed by fourth graders. That would be incredible.
1: Well, I have some films you can see that uh, you can link up. Uh, we won a PBS award for a, a thing called Shakespeare at Full Steam, where we had the kids do a lot of different Shakespeare scenes. And then in self-directed work group, and no educator ever lets kids do anything. They put them in what they in the in the um, aerospace industry is called self-directed work group. That's why aerospace is so creative. There's no boss. You have a job. You get together with your group and you do it. So we would give them prologues and we divide it up into sections because every Shakespeare starts with the prologue and dictionaries and say, this is your job, tell us what this means, and they would do it. And then because everything had to be connected to STEAM, we had self-directed works groups that had to do a presentation on some aspect of science that happened during the time of Shakespeare. So, And I have it on, I have it on, 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 on video, Wonderful. and it won the PBS Video in the Classroom Award eight years ago or something. but. Uh, like, uh, for medicine, they used glycerin, and glycerin was considered you know, an important medicine, but also the clowns used glycerin and water to make big bubbles. So they figured out a, uh, proportions, and then they um, took a tube, and, you, and then they make the big bubbles. So that was one presentation. They made catapults out of uh, pieces physics. of- Yeah, physics. Uh, They made a um, castle out of little pieces of wood with their parents. Uh, We did something in math about money, comparing the money of the 16th century and now. Uh, Loaf of bread, half a pence. Uh, Loaf of bread now, what, $8.50, that kind of stuff. And then we had puppet show and they paid, they bowled. Uh, They did um, target practice, we did dances so kids did this all i did was have we, meetings with them. okay what's going on with the math group what have you guys decided to do so they decided and then we provided support but they had to decide and so they researched what elizabeth money looked like and copied it out and then duplicated it and made it so that people could spend it and all that kids did that
0: yeah because purpose purpose I mean, project-based. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Purpose begets uh, progress. It begets excitement.
1: So if anybody wants to see it, I think it's on YouTube, and it's called Shakespeare at Full Steam, S-T-E-A-M. Yeah. Yeah. I'll put a link on it. And we've done it a couple of times, but schools don't like that. Theater is messy, and schools don't like that kind of chaos. They really don't and so you have to do it occasionally you'll get a principal this is okay this is good I want to do it and usually you get a principal that is like this is taken away from math time or something the ultimate payoff is in a couple of the schools where we did the fourth grade their test scores went up substantially so that made us a little more valuable but it's kind of become a little bit of a national model to understand mm-hmm. that Shakespeare is not all that hard, it's just one kind of literature um, that is organized. The syntax is different, but the message is the same, and that kids can handle that. We have kid, and then also doing Shakespeare with high school kids um, at Washington Prep, and I've done, I, I'm an actor, I've done all these different companies, and I've coached and all that, and so we, I chose after my, after I left Atlanta uh, to teach at Washington Prep High School. And so people from BAFTA, British Academy of Film and Television Arts had kind of wanted to do this outreach and they were doing Romeo and Julia and then they wanted to do a full production. That was our first one for inner city Shakespeare and we're trying to go through the script and then I'm really, these high school kids, I mean, Washington Prep, School with issues at this point, it goes up and down. But when I got there, it was a mess. Some of the lowest test scores in the the state. And so the kids didn't have command of language. So I said, okay, you BAFTA people want to do something? Send some folks out here to mentor these kids. And they did, and they've been doing it for years. Phil Reese, um, who was an actor, and Neil Dickinson, who's an actor, they've been doing this since the beginning since the beginning, they come out to South Central and sit with the kids and go through the language and then, okay, this is what you're, this is what you're portraying, how do we do that? So mentoring is so key to what we do. It was and it is. Here at Hellmelt, we have Val Kelmer's whole crew and you never know who's gonna be here. Most of them are actors, they mentor. And now because of COVID, we moved into film where kids are producing their own films, writing their own films. So we have writers that are connected, editors that are connected to now people that are coming in and saying, okay, how can we help? And it's, it's just a, a combining of community. And what happens is people who have these assumptions that these black kids are scary and bad, they fall in love with them the way we are. They're funny and smart and sex survivors you know sex survivors and 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 thrivers and you give them an opportunity they're going to take it and uh we've had some famous people we've dealt with Helen Mirren and she uh, her publicist got mad because she's sitting with our kids and she needs to be doing this um uh, all kinds of actors some famous some not but all trained, all understand Shakespeare, and all love the kids.
0: Mm, I feel like uh, Denzel Washington, and Francis McDormand, and uh, that they would do well. They lo- those Shakespeare lovers. If they're, you they're doing Macbeth, and it's coming out. So.
1: Right. If you can get to them, sure. If you can get to them, I get to who I get to. Sure, sure. You know, and they may, and these. We're getting attention, and, and they may, but it's like they don't have to be famous. Yeah. Everyone who's an actor, including Val Kilmer, and he loves it, uh, Study Shakespeare because that's the base, and it's a new language, and you learn different syntax, and you have to use your whole voice and your instrument. So yeah. it's it's a good thing to learn about.
0: Have you, you seen know? the Tom Hiddleston Coriolanus?
1: Uh, there yeah. There? Oh, so good. Oh, yeah. Well, I like Coriolanus. I think our recent government has a Coriolanus kind of, I'm gonna win even if I have to destroy my homeland. And
0: myself. And myself, and
1: myself <laughs> yeah. in the process. Yeah. Everybody dies, including me. Yeah. that's it. I think Shakespeare world. must have been depressed when he wrote Coriolanus, because it's so dark and so bloody that's and great. so ugly.
0: He's great at dark. For, it, that's what marvels me with uh, Shakespeare is that this This enigma who not only could master comedy and romance and the intricacies of love lost and love pined for can also kill a whole swath of
1: people without
0: even blinking an eye with such vengeance. Yes.
1: And then it gives, because Shakespeare, as we tend to, at least we have so far, use traditional costumes, and I... uh, I'm six feet tall. I learned to sew. I I, I learned to sew. That's what black folks did. You crocheted, you sewed, you macrame, and my aunts taught me how to sew. So doing the research and then I wanted to be involved in theater companies and we all know black people don't know Shakespeare outside of Othello everybody knows that so I wouldn't get the part even though I would be killing it because I knew what I was doing so I would do costumes and then I finally began to direct but um, we have just the most glorious costumes Mm -hmm. um, that are made by me and some of my young people who uh, want to do costumes, and I mentored them and show them how to draft patterns, and then kick, you know, help them get into college and they learn their jobs, and then they're working for Disney, and then they'll come back and help us out.
0: When you decided to to found Inner City Shakespeare. Did you find yourself butting heads against anything or did, was it <laughs>
1: was it an easy sell? Nothing's easy when you're dealing with First of all, not the only founder. The other founder is Paul Heller, who died right at Hanukkah, and Katie Haber, who's one of the producers for, uh, Paul Heller produced My Left Foot, uh, David and Lisa Enter the Dragon, and he just wanted to do something with the kids. And then Katie Haber, who was involved in all Sam Peckinpah's movies, and uh, uh, what is that one that just came back with the flying cars and Bruce Willis? I can't think of it. Um, just major iconic movies, and they wanted to help with the kids, so we started in Martian Prep and School. BAFTA gave money, and then you know we we created Romeo and Juliet. We made it happen. Then it got to be too much attention. And so there were some administrators didn't think it was, Shakespeare was appropriate. So I had to do it after school and then BAFTA. Yeah, it was a constant battle. And when the schools decided um, that they didn't want it anymore, um, then I left Washington prep and went to work for the district office in arts education. That's where I got it back. And, and we did it in the community. They wouldn't allow us to use auditorium. So we did our performances in the parks because we had a park director that loved it. And then when he left, we couldn't use the parks anymore. So we're trying to use church basements and community centers and whatever. And it's a constant fight for money. I didn't know that much about the nonprofit sector so basically i worked a part-time job for years i taught um, school full-time and then i taught college part-time and that money and whatever money paul heller could put together went into producing the shows and then as our kids grew up and they got through college now anybody that does an inner city shakespeare performance gets paid i don't care if you're 12.
0: that's amazing
1: you know, it's not a lot. It's like 20, $20 a performance. Still, But if you're 11 true. and yeah. you get $200 for doing a show, that's pretty darn cool. Um, Yeah, it's hard. It's a constant battle. It is constant. This year, really hard because we were closed down, right? Yeah. Before, because of COVID, but we continued. We did Romeo and Juliet on Zoom. That was nuts yeah. because because of COVID, a lot of our college-age students had to go home. So they went back to Chicago. We had Utah, Chicago, Atlanta, everywhere. George Floyd stuff was going on. So it was hard and then people were dying of COVID, but we just said, we need to keep this community together. We had almost 37 kids in Romeo and Juliet, more than we needed. but some the more the merrier you know because that was our spring show which usually leads into summer programs and then we'll have some kind of smaller piece for the advanced actors and then my christmas we do something else So we've been doing that for a long time and uh It was funny doing Romeo and Juliet on Zoom. And we were featured on NBC, too, if you haven't seen that. I
0: I saw the clip for it. Again, I'm going to put a ton of links for you. Right. And,
1: uh, okay, for example, Romeo. Romeo has to buy poison. He has to use the poison. And Juliet has to try to use the poison. And Juliet's father has to pick it up. So that meant that we had to locate five poison bottles that looked exactly alike, give one to the apothecary, one to Romeo, one to Juliet, one to Juliet's father and everybody, and then they would would get them at the bottom of the screen and it would be there. So with every prop, we had to do that. All the costumes, because my costumer, Neiman Tate, and he's just amazing. had gotten a job with Disney that he un-got because of the pandemic, they didn't do the movie. I said, Neiman, you're not leaving me to do 37 costumes. So way earlier than we would, we made and fit everybody to their costumes. So when COVID came, we mailed everybody their costumes. And then we put up virtual backgrounds. And then... Wow. (laughs) It was hard. It was really hard.
0: That's incredible, though. But we
1: got it done, and it's kind of become like this little model of for other, you know, I'm I'm kind of involved with arts education organizations. Don't quit. Just because it's hard, don't quit. And we did a couple other things after that, you know, on Zoom with that platform. And, you know, I'm just like that, probably. Probably somewhere on the spectrum. Yeah.
0: Wait, which of the Shakespeare? I'm sure you've been asked this before, but which of the Shakespeare plays are do you feel most aligned with? Either it, it sort of tells your story, and/or there's a character within that speaks to you the most.
1: That's a hard question. I've never been asked that. As an actor, I'd love to play Lady Macbeth. Oh yes. But I wouldn't kill anybody to get what I want. Uh, I especially love *Midsummer Night's Dream because I, I believe in fairies. I mean, the whole, the fact that there's this whole misunderstanding and the joys of the fairies and having fun and it's beautiful, um, I'm not like anybody's fairy. I don't know what character, maybe one of the Richards or something, you know, somebody who's really really determined to get their way, to meet the needs of their family. I love Timons of Athens. I don't know if you know that one.
0: I don't know that one.
1: Ha ha! Timons is this noble that was very rich and very generous and because of his gambling he became penniless. So all of his friends cut him loose, kicked him out, lost his house. He's living in a cave and he finds a this is so tacky Shakespeare he finds a bag of gold and so like which is the basis for what story can you think of it guy who was rich lost everything got some more money and came back Count of Monte Cristo oh yes okay so uh I love that story I want to produce it um like it's a, a P. Diddy kind of character, and he loses all his money, and his, all his friends lit, and then he gets a lottery ticket, and he gets rich again, and then he gets revenge on all the friends. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 that's a what, great
0: screenplay. That's what
1: time said.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah. I love it. Uh, how did you get to know about Kilmer and Helmel, and all these guys, and Brad? Okay, Brad,
1: Brad Kopanek, who is, just a special flavor, and I have been knocking around arts education forever. He does Shakespeare, I do Shakespeare, our kids compete, and we did with the wonderful Mel Stewart, who created Willy Wonka, has won 10 Peabody's uh, Emmys, Grammy, all that. Mel is Was working with BAFTA. He came to a rehearsal. He said, There's a story here. So he created a documentary called Shakespeare and Watts. We're not exactly Watts, but Mel did Watts stacks and he had this great shot, aerial shot of the Watts Towers, anyway. So we got into a lot of film festivals. Same time, Brad was doing Shakespeare High in film festivals. So we kept running into each other at film festivals. And then as a teacher, I knew his wife, the lovely Carol Copanet. So we had that connection. And then Brad would reach out to us. The, he was kind of incensed that this whole theater education thing, whenever we go to competitions, we'd be the only people of color there. And this is, you know, 2015. Um, so he kept reaching out to us. He'd come to all our shows. Uh, he encouraged some people to uh, donate and then he w- was working with Val Kelmer and touring and Mark Twain and all that and Val said he wanted, who loves Shakespeare, that he wanted to create a Shakespeare company for kids and Brad said you don't have to do that, there's already one here. And that's how we got here. God. And um, Val looked at some of our films, met with the kids. I have pictures of that too. Uh, and just fell in love and says, you, and I, at that point we had no home, we were a pop-up company. We might be performing in a park, we might be performing in a community center for some organization or anything. So he said, come here let this be your home. That's how it happened, wow. which is a blessing.
0: That's lovely.
1: Yeah. yeah. And Val is incredibly generous. Just generous. He's been through a tough time with the throat cancer, but he continues. You know, he's. Who has throat cancer and puts out five movies in a year? <laughs> who does that? Only Val Kilmer. You know, his documentary, Val, which will go to Cannes and has us in it. We're the end of it because we are his full circle moment. So it was just being there at the right time. That's how we got here.
0: Yeah. Blessings abound. Yeah. But what's the future hold for you and the company?
1: Well, currently, we are doing 10-minute uh, plays. We're going to do 10-minute plays, but COVID, so now we're doing 10-minute films. A lot harder. But our kids work with professional writers from BAFTA and all over the industry and they write their scripts and then together we produce them so we have two left with that this summer we're running something called Shakespeare in the street which is going to be a national outreach to kids everywhere and, and what we want to do being COVID safe is pick a monologue that is of interest to any monologue you want and shoot it somewhere In the street. We have pictures of that too. Um, (laughs) It's in the LA Times article so we shot things down alleys etc. So probably starting June 15th we will send out a call and then we set up a YouTube channel for people to um, download their things and then once and if we get then we'll have a panel of judges, including um, Robin Lithgow, John's sister, and all these other Shakespeare experts, will decide what are the 20 best. And then we'll show them all over the country, because we don't want to do that now. And we'll pick a winner and give them a prize. And then we're getting ready to do a Midsummer Night's Dream,
0: uh-huh.
1: which, which I'm looking forward to and I'm not. You know how many people are in a Midsummer Night's Dream? Yeah. It's a lot. It's a lot, yeah. You know, the lovers, the the mechanicals, and all those fairies. Yeah. yeah. So that's what we're doing right now. And for the first time, we have a grant writer. Oh. We got one grant from the state of California. We've applied for oh, nine more. Uh, I've donated money. My sister died. In, And in her probate, I got some money, so I donated it to inner city Shakespeare. Big chunk of money too for a poor person like me. Um, Our president, Amit Bala, is doing fundraising. He's a a, a screenwriter uh, for uh, Apple, I think. And he has a new show coming out. So he's hiring our kids and doing fundraising. So we've had to grow up and get formal now.
0: Yeah. yeah people listening donate somehow
1: innercityshakespeareensemble.org and put donor yeah. yeah
0: yeah
1: and the the best thing though my favorite statistic we've had about a thousand kids in the really the body of it the training and the performance over the last 10 years Everyone has graduated from high school, everyone, and about 85% go to college. Some of them we got when they were 10 and 12, so they're still matriculating, but uh, we have lots of college graduates, and that wouldn't have happened without us. And we're in school districts where the graduation rate is maybe 60%, and the number of people that go to college is in the 20s.
0: So it's clear it's making a humongous difference. I hope so. And you've been awarded. you from President Obama and also the state of California.
1: Well, I was oh, the office of the president, which is really like an ancillary organization, you know, like the Smithsonian. I was nominated. I worked with the UN News for Human Rights for the Presidential Medal uh, for... Uh, and volunteerism. It was supposed to be done during the Obama administration but it didn't happen so it was done during this that last administration but certain people who should have done a ceremony in the Rose Garden and all that stuff didn't choose to so it was presented in the Senate. He did send me a letter though.
0: Yeah sadly we don't have a Rose Garden anymore.
1: Mm. Isn't that horrible? Yeah. Sure is. You hate ro- who hates roses I don't know. and just turn it into into lawn. Or does he a want? Putting,
0: it? I think a putting green.
1: Putting yeah. green.
0: Yeah.
1: It's so we need to get that rose garden back. Yeah. It was uh, so beautiful. And
0: the the state, the California, the teacher yeah. of the year.
1: I've been teacher of the year a couple of times. That's, you know.
0: that's a big deal. No, I mean, you no, know, I gotta tell you. I mean, growing up, I I had my, you know, I'm dyslexic and. Uh, hyperactive and all these sorts of things. Right, and if
1: somebody doesn't catch you, you just fail. You yeah. become a druggie or a dropout. Or and
0: there were death. only a couple of teachers that, and I I still, you know, know them by name and remember what they meant to me and what a difference just an hour in their presence could make. And so it's a, it's a big
1: deal. I am lucky interested. in the sense that many, 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 many of my students I keep up with and I Um, Like uh, Ruth Ann Van Buren, she was like my daughter when she was in high school. Her mom died so she needed a mom and I don't have a daughter so it worked out. She runs a theater company in Northern California and we trade costumes and I helped her get a grant and we just maintain that relationship and they invite me to their weddings and their graduations and we don't have, we have one baby, I think Adonis has a baby. Nobody else has any babies. We're not visiting anybody in jail, but they're my tribe. They're my tribe. I celebrate holidays with them. They're my family. Yeah, it's lovely. And it's like, it's the spirit of my grandmother who didn't let an unhappy little girl who was in pain and had deformed limbs that I still have just give up she wouldn't allow me to become a handicapped person. She said, it is clear that you're gonna have these deformities. Now you can let that, uh, you can let that rule your life or you can be somebody that and that. And so she's every day, every day for a year, for hours, you know, just mentoring me, my grandmother, my grandfather would get jealous, Joanna, School is over. It's time to go (laughs) home, you know. And so I knew the value of teaching. And because I'm the oldest of a whole bunch of kids, I've taught so many family members to read. And so it was only natural that I would go and— I used to play school. Am I a nerd or what? I would play school in my garage and I have blackboards and stuff irritating to teachers sometimes because I came to school reading, you know. I was reading, I had my little Shakespeare book and stuff and the teacher said that it was uh, inappropriate for a child to be reading that, you know. But I had that, my grandma taught me to read. My mom would, we would read all the time. We didn't have TV because we were poor. I think we didn't get TV until I was like 10. So there was no TV. And we would read, we'd read to each other, da da da. And and also the black church. It's all about each one to each one. Those were the first schools. And so we had Sunday school and we had uh Baptist Youth and we would have projects which would be, you know, I don't know, uh we would do sewing and stuff, but we would also run the nursery school. So, I mean, you know, it was just in my blood. And, and I want the kids to see possibilities. I think-
0: A Shakespeare podcast would be fun.
1: Yeah, uh, we started, it and we're gonna start again. And, and you're characters. gonna- you can And you're gonna mentor us. So yes. uh, we can do the podcast- we're 100%. Do a Shakespeare in the streets.
0: It would be my uh, honor. I would love yeah. to do
1: that. Uh, we're working with Robin Lithgow, who is uh, has a new book out, and I'm hoping with her, guidance we can do something like that
0: it'd be hilarious to have a podcast where you interview shakespearean characters that say see that's why you're gonna help i I would sue. that'd be amazing i would love that i don't know who
1: would i don't know who would listen
0: to it but there's plenty of shakespeare lovers out there.
1: there are and there are people that are saying that shakespeare is just about a bunch of old, adult, you know, dead white men. I
0: don't think people realize that almost every movie and book they they have taken into their brain at this comes point from comes Shakespeare. from
1: Shakespeare. It's so <laughs> ridiculous, you know. Like you look at all these Law and Order stuff, you know, all of that. It's just, you know, it's like McDuff. I'm gonna find who did this murder. And bring them to punishment. Is that not Shakespeare? Yeah,
0: I mean, King Lear is all over the place. King Lear is empire. Yeah, there's
1: Which of my family members am I giving my empire to as I die?
0: And Succession, that's the other one that's also King Oh, yeah, Lear. that's
1: messed up. And that any movie about a girl who, like, she's got a heaven, and not, 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 she's all that. A girl who feel she's left out in a man's world. That's Taming of the Shrew. Uh, A lot of the Sherlock Holmes books are based in Shakespeare. Murder she wrote. It's just all these novels. And then Shakespeare was a thief too. Because he stole, like, Romeo and Juliet is based on a Greek uh, story called Pyramus and Thisbe.
0: Well, yeah. uh, Ovid and uh, and Homer, and, you know the, these are uh,
1: basis for a lot of yeah, yeah. Uh, what is it? The Iliad and the Iliad Odyssey Iliad has that yeah. the loss of your family members. You're trying to trying to give your family the respect they deserve. Yeah. And then the history ones. And Shakespeare there were no newspapers. So everybody would come to see the play, as I understand. And and then when everybody had seen it, then oh God, we gotta write another one. You know, that's why there's so many.
0: Yeah.
1: And uh, and then some of it is, is a way to share history of certain characters. And then it's he's kind of a feminist, don't you think? That's probably because of Queen Elizabeth, you know, Viola, you know, who dresses like a man because she's trying to protect herself. I mean, that's really so Elizabethan in a way. And then she ends up falling in love with the Duke. If music be the fruit of life,
0: play Play on. on. (laughs) Melanie, thank you. Dr. Melanie Curtis Andrews. Thank you.
1: Thank you. I'm honored. I hope somebody does what listens to this
0: and wants to donate. So if you're listening and Shakespeare you love, or kids you love, or you understand the importance of of this type of education, excelling children beyond anyone's expectations, uh, right,
1: <laughs> including their own, including their own,
0: then then definitely. Uh, Please donate to
1: InnerCity Shakespeare .org. .org. Yeah.
0: Thank you for listening, everybody. Thank you, Melanie. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We're just humans. <laughs> Rate and review Hey Human on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.